Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, we're recording this on Saturday, June the 26th in the morning. And as we like to say on the show, I, I'm always shaking in the morning, despite the fact that we did mornings in New York City. I know. Despite like, the fact that I did it for 20 years, morning dra- mornings are, this is like a rumor to me, 10 a.m. I'm normally in bed and not thinking. Well, it's, it's, it's 1046. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still normally in bed. Still normally in are, bed. Are you, are you usually on a Saturday? I am. I am. On a Saturday, t- Saturday's a sleep-in day, Sunday's a sleep-in day. Mm-hmm. Um, we call those uh, snoozle doozles. Snoozle doozles? Yeah. Is that an Ohio thing? No, that's a Juan uh, thing. He invented oh. the term snoozle doozle, and it means you're laying in bed, and you've got the TV on, but you're drifting in and out of consciousness. It's perfect. It's just perfect. Do you and Tom ever do a snoozle doozle? Um, not often. You know, well, like during the week, Tom gets up really early. I mean, Does sometimes he really? he's up at like four o'clock in the morning. Oh, get out of here. I, I wish. I wish I can get out of here when he's up at four o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I hear him. Sometimes I don't. Yeah. Um, but no, he, he's a much early sleeper than I am. I mean, he'll get into bed at nine. Um, at nine, at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like uh, he's like my mom and not stepdad Leo. Mm-hmm. Bed at nine, and then the older you get, the earlier you wake up. Do you ever notice that? A lot of people. I was just going to say, the older I get, the older <laughs> I wake up. I woke up this morning. It was like it was like three thirty, and then I got up at five something. And I was like, oh, and I, I couldn't go back. And yeah. then, and then, but then I stay in bed anyway, because I force it. Sure. A snoozle doozle. It, well, there you go. And then I, I got up at, um, I got up at 7.30, I got up at 8, and then I finally got up at 9. Yeah. Like Good. out of bed at 9. Out of bed, yeah. So we get to talk about today, one of our great loves, which is Dogs. Dogs. Dogs are the greatest thing in the world. And I always say, and I'll get crap for this on social media. I'll say, these are like my kids, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll put a picture of them on social media on Instagram. Yesterday was take your dog to work day. I'm working at home from, from home right now. So my dogs are roaming around during the ench- entire show. And I'll say, these are like my kids. And somebody, some wise ass will always jump on social media and say, they're not kids. You don't know what it's like to be a parent. I'm like, no, for us, I don't have kids. This is, these are my kids. You know what I did once in answer to that? Someone had posted me a picture of their kid on the potty and said, oh, no, first time on the potty. And then I took a picture of my dog peeing up against a tree. (laughs) (laughs) I said, first time peeing with his leg up. Well, our uh, guest today is one of the best and most prolific documentarians working today. After working on music documentaries about Billy Joel, the Foo Fighters, George Harrison, his very first documentary with his brother was called Undefeated, and it won the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. Since then, he has overseen countless documentaries, including Room 237, a creepy one, 
betting on zero, a fascinating one. And the great What's My Name, Muhammad Ali, his latest projects are about the pets we love. Season two of Dogs is now airing on Netflix, along with a series called Cat People. Glenn Zipper joins us. Glenn, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. So you actually started your career as a prosecutor in Hudson County, New Jersey. How do you get from there to becoming a documentarian? A dog? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I was coming home from work one day and um, I encountered a stray pit bull puppy on the street. And um, fast forward, that took me to an animal shelter. I'd never really been in an animal shelter before. And I said, all right, the dog's here dog's going to be okay now, right? And they said, well, we'll give it its three days. I said, three days, what do you mean? They said, you know, we'll give it its three days. I said, no, I, I don't understand. What do you mean three days? They said, well, by law, we have to give the dog three days for someone to come by and reclaim it. After that, we're, we're going to put him down. And I said, well, it's it's a little puppy. It needs a chance. And they said, well, it's a pit bull. It's it's not healthy. It's And it's a math problem. One comes in, one's got to go. Mm. And they took me into the back and they showed me floor to ceiling cages of filled with all these animals that needed a second chance and weren't going to get one. And, um, this is where the story gets self-serving. I, I told them to not put any of the dogs to sleep and that, uh, on Monday I was going to turn in my badge and come volunteer at the shelter and just work to get the animals adopted. And I did that for about six months. And then for the first time in my adult life, I was actually happy. And I decided I wanted to stay happy. Uh, <laughs> which I wasn't going to be if I went back to being a prosecutor. So I uh, loaded my stuff into my truck and that little pit bull puppy who I kept. Oh. And I went out to um, Hollywood and uh, somehow through a, a combination of hard work and a lot of luck, I was a- actually able to kick the door in and find an opportunity in this business. I just got such a chill. That is the most amazing story I've ever heard. Wow, because, you you know, when Steve and I, Steve and I had a radio show in in New York, where uh, I'm from, Mm -hmm. and um, I'm not going to go through the whole story because it's way too long, but I I found a dog, and Mm -hmm. then the dog got lost uh, on my way to adopting it. The guy who who was giving me the dog lost the dog, and it was horrific, and I got the dog back a week later, but in that week period, I went to this one shelter on the Upper West Side. I went there every other day looking for this dog and you talk about going into the shelter it was three different floors of dogs and it this sounds terrible but it it felt like auschwitz for dogs because i went in there like schindler wanting to rescue every single one of them and you i i I couldn't but then i did get the dog back a week later and it was truly a remarkable experience well i think it goes without saying that you know uh since uh, the dawn of man, dogs have always been there for us and had our back, and we haven't done the same. We've really failed dogs and a lot of other animals too. Hmm. Um, I get up on my soapbox, but we need to do a lot better. You know, we'll get to dog. Dogs is fantastic. It's a it's a great series, and watch season one, and I'm into season two. It's it's so good. Um, I I kind of want to talk about your other stuff too. What what makes a great documentarian? I think it's it's about investment. Uh, the The best documentaries really bring you into a world, um, and uh, you really get behind the curtain of whatever that world is. Um, and you know, I always say that you're lucky if you get one or two magic moments in a doc, 
And the only way to have both that investment and also to find those magic moments is to totally immerse yourself in that story. And uh, not to uh, sideswipe some other documentarians, but there are some documentarians out there who think they can helicopter in and out. And by the way, there's, there's some out there that are the aberrations who are so talented who can get away with that. Um, but the what do you mean by helicopter in and out? I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll be, uh, let's say they're making a documentary about, let's just for the sake of argument, something silly um, or the sake of hypothetical, they're making a documentary about the Mets. Okay. And <laughs> you know what? That's so weird. Sue <laughs> is a huge Mets fan. <laughs> oh, so am I. That's why I chose them. <laughs> after I get off of this podcast, I'm just going to light a candle for Jacob DeGrom's arm and then when I say helicopter in that filmmaker might go in for like a week of games in April, then he'd leave, then come back maybe for another week of games in, in May and rinse, wash, repeat. What I'm saying about really investing yourself is you got to be there for all 162 games because you never know when the magic's going to happen. And if you're off doing something else in LA, when Jacob DeGrom throws that no, no hitter, you've missed it. Yep. So that's what I mean. So, you know, you, you started in music documentaries, which, and, and a couple that I absolutely love. I'm a huge Foo Fighters fan. I just got to see him in concert uh, at this Vax Live show at SoFi Stadium, and and Dave Grohl just blew the roof off the place. Billy Joel seems like the greatest guy in the world. Sue and I were doing mornings in New York City, and there was a huge snowstorm, and he had a concert at Madison Square Garden that night, and he called just randomly called into the station because he wanted people to know that the concert had been rescheduled in my, in my head. I think he called a bunch of stations that morning. Like he was just a, a fantastic guy. Those, those two acts in particular are two of my favorites. Yeah. And, uh, they always say, don't meet your heroes just so they'll, they'll disappoint you. Yeah. Neither of those guys disappointed me. I, I'll give you a story about each of them. Um, Dave Grohl, um, first meeting I had with him, um, and it was very early in my career. I, I had to be the least Im important person in the room. I, I don't know that I might still be the least important person in the room, but I, I certainly was then. And um, I might have exchanged two words with him. And um, on the way into that meeting, I was talking to one of his managers and uh, he, I was showing her something on my phone. I was shopping for motorcycles. And he sort of leaned over our shoulders and he said, what are you looking at? And I said, oh, I'm thinking about buying a motorcycle. He said, oh, that's cool. And he went about his business. Three months later, we had another meeting with him. I mean, I would have been shocked if he remembered my name. And he walks in. The first thing he says to me is, Glenn, did you get that motorcycle? Wow. And that, that impressed me because, you know, how many people you know, does he encounter on a daily basis, basis who want something out of him or up in his grill about something or other? And that means that he's a grounded person, that he's actually awake and he cares about his interactions with people. So that was really cool. Billy Joel, when we were making that film, I was very much producing it in the background. I wasn't at any of the, any of the um, interviews with Billy. I was doing a lot of, of course, I was really focused on the mess because that documentary has a lot to do with the mess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and when you're doing an interview with a superstar like Billy, you know, you want to have as few people as possible um, in those interviews. So it's just like, you know, your cameraman, your, uh, your sound guy, your director, not much more. Um, so there's no distractions. And I think the first time I actually got to meet him <clears throat> was at the premiere at Tri the Tribeca Film Festival. And he came up to me and he said, good job, shook my hand and walked away. And that was fine. You know, I was like, all right, that's my Billy Joel interaction. I'm glad he said good job and not you screwed it up. Um, and then 
couple years later, we were very fortunate and uh, we won the Oscar for best documentary for a film called Undefeated. Yep. And next, next morning, of course, you have a thousand emails from people we haven't heard from since, you know, high school. And there's an email from some name I don't recognize, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to remember it now, but like something very generic like John Smith. So I open it up and inside the body of the email, it says, hey, Glenn, it's actually Billy Joel. I just want to let you know I'm really proud of you. Wow. Like, wow. That's really, really amazing. That is the coolest. I, I had a, a bonehead moment when my first year of college. I went to school at New Paul's. And, um, you know, 18 years old, Billy Joel had just, no one really knew who he was. And my roommate said, uh, hey, I'm going to go see this uh, Billy Joel tonight. You want to come? Tickets were $5. Yeah. And I was like, Billy who? Billy Joel? I had no idea who he was. And I didn't go. <laughs> Total missed opportunity. bad. Yeah, totally. So you mentioned Undefeated, which is really one of the great one of the great documentaries of the last uh, 20 years, I think, um, and went back and looked at it again to, to get ready for this. And it is so good. The thing that amazes me about doing what you do is you don't know the ending when you are starting to shoot. And, and do you have fear, excitement? What, what's the feeling like when you don't know what the end of the story is going to be? Yeah, you know that like that famous line from the Avengers with the Hulk. He says, "My secret is I'm I'm always angry." Yes. Yeah, mine is my secret is I'm always terrified, because it's that is documentary filmmaking. You don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you uh, it, it's a total best laid plan situation, and Undefeated is the, the perfect example of that. So we really thought they were going to win the state championship in that film. You know, the film's 10 years old, so I'm, I'm not sorry if there's spoilers. It's, it's your fault for not watching it yet. <laughs> um, but, uh, and the, uh, I remember um, the, uh, it, with the first game, uh, you know, we thought they were going to blow away the, the team they were playing, and they lost. We thought they were undefeated that season, no pun intended, and they lost, which terrified me. And then the second game, I got a phone call from one of the producers who was, who was down in Memphis, and he, he sounded, he didn't sound good. And I said, did they lose again? And he said, no, no, they won. And I said, well, why do you sound so shaky? He goes, they wouldn't let us film it. So the, oh. first, the first two games were a loss and a game they wouldn't, wouldn't let uh, our team film. And then, you know, ultimately they didn't even win the first playoff game. But it goes back to what I was talking about before. Dan Lindsay, TJ Martin, the directors, Rich Middlemiss, uh, the producer that was boots on the ground with him every single day for nine months in Memphis. That They did exactly the type of investment that I was alluding to. They were there for every single minute, every single day. They, when they came back from Memphis, they, had a, they spent three months just going through the footage to see what they had because they just had never stopped shooting. And when you get that much odds are you're going to find some magic moments and you're going to have a story there as long as you're willing to make that kind of commitment. And, and were, were, it, was everybody on board with everything that you wanted to do? Because I know a lot of times in documentaries, they're like, mm, I don't know, I, I don't want you to shoot this or I don't want to talk about that. Did you, did you come across anything like that? On every film we do. Um, yeah. you know, and I, what we, we have to do is we trust um, that once they get to know us, then they will get to in turn trust us. And also there's something weird that happens where after you have cameras in someone's face for um, you know, uh, two months, the, the cameras sort of become invisible. So it's not even about them. They don't even realize to say, don't film this. 
I'm not comfortable with this because the cameras just sort of blend into the background. So usually, even though there are some hesitations up front, we ultimately get to a place where, where most, most folks are pretty forthcoming with us and, and let us see transparently into their world. This is kind of a dumb question, but what's it, what's it like to win an Oscar? Uh, it's surreal. Absolutely surreal. Um, we, on, on undefeated, um, we added um, uh, Sean Combs as an executive producer somewhere along the way. Um, he's a big supporter of the film and, uh, for the uninitiated, that's Puff Daddy. Yes. And, um, or P Diddy or whatever he's going by now. There he is today. But, um, and when, when I was up on stage, like I, I, it's all a blur. I don't remember any of it, but I do remember as soon as I got backstage, Sean was waiting for us. Um, because I don't know how he managed to get back there, but you know, he's Sean. So he figured it out. And I was so on cloud nine and out of my body that I literally ran up to him and bear hugged him. Hmm. And, and he gave me this look like you get one of these dude and you know, <laughs> do that again. I'm going to have someone break your legs. <laughs> um, Sue and I are both huge dog people as, as I mentioned, and uh, excited to watch season two of, of dogs. I, again, how, how do you find these stories, these, these really interesting stories about people and their relationships to their dogs. It, you really span the globe with this. It's, it's hard. Um, you know, season, we have a uh, casting professionals whose job it is to go out into the world and help, help us find them, source them. And we might go through, you know, a hundred story options to find four. Um, in season two, we did something different where we, we actually made a, a call out to the world via social media. Like if you think you've got a dog episode between you and your dog, let us know. We want to hear from you. And we'll, I think it was a bit of a miscalculation because everyone thinks their dog deserves <laughs> an episode. Of that, right? Yeah. Why, why was it my dog on your show? That's like, you know, my dog knows how to open up the bathroom door. And you're like, that's really cute. It's funny, but it's a, it's a TikTok video. It's not an episode of dogs. <laughs> And, you know, but we're all like one big family. So we, we don't want it. We, we want to make those feel, those people feel loved and, and heard. So we had to, as best as possible, you know, let those people know that they, we, we love them and we love their dogs, but they, they weren't quite ready for prime time with the dogs episode. <laughs> um, and, you know, and just like we were talking about a minute ago, even when we do select those stories, we, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, um, you know, if you have a dog about, we had an episode about a dog being um, rescued from Iraq in season mm. two, you know, we didn't know if that was going to work out. And if it didn't, we were still going to have to tell the story, except it would have been a pretty sad story. And we, we did, um, in advance of season one, give people some spoilers because we thought you kind of need to with dogs, so I'll do it again. No dogs die in season yeah. two of dogs, I promise. Every dog is fine. And we, we have nothing but happy endings for you. Right. The, um, the Brazilian priest was, uh, so oh. moving. I mean, I, I, what, what a human being this guy is. I really hope that that episode brings a, a lot of attention to the work that he does and what a special person he is, which they could certainly use additional resources. And, you know, in, in season one, we had an, an episode in Costa Rica about an animal sanctuary. And, and I know that they enjoyed a lot of support after that episode aired. So hoping the same thing happens for Padre. He's such a, I mean, he, literally should be sainted. 
Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I have a lot of friends who are uh, animal rescue. One you may know, Elaine Boozler, the comedian, who's yeah, also yeah. a huge, huge Mets fan. Um, yeah. um, her, her organization, I mean, she is, she is truly a saint as, as well. And I know what kind of work goes into, you know, it's kind of like a relay, relay race when you're rescuing dogs and, you know, it's handed off to this person, to the next person, you go to this, this state, you go to that state. I mean, it really is such a labor of love with, with a group of people that I've never, ever seen in my life. And it requires a lot of strength and fortitude. It's not everybody's cut out for it. And there's a a term in in animal rescue that sounds incredibly um, self-serving, but it's a real thing. And it's called compassion exhaustion, which is like either there's no days off, you know, when you get a dog rescued, there's another dog waiting behind it. That's that as at, at risk for euthanization. So if you say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm going to take a breath for the next week and I'm not going to do the work then that dog might not make it. So there's really, there's no escape from that type of work. And so the work that Elaine does and the people um, like Elaine doing the same thing, uh, I have the utmost respect for them. I mean, even I couldn't do it. Um, even though there's like, I'm, unfair i'm undeservedly referred to as the dog guy sometimes i i i couldn't do it with that measure of consistency that people like elaine do it do you have a dog now no my dog sat a dog, that so that puppy yeah they told you about his name is anthony i rescued him in 2003 by the way i love dogs with people names <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> yeah he came with a name there were some kids on the street that had him when i when he was stray and they were calling him anthony i kept the name but um, he was with me for 17 years and he only passed away in December of 2020, right before the pandemic started. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to, and I don't have kids, you know, so he was my, my baby and to be with him for 17 years, be going through that grief. And then like two months later, the pandemic started. Th- thank goodness I had dogs and cat people to work on because that really saved me. Cause I, if I hadn't, had those shows to throw myself into, I don't know what I would have done. I just have to give you a taste of how in deep I am when it comes to dogs. I did stand-up comedy for a very long time, and I was up in Vegas doing a show, and I was waiting for my fellow comedian to come get me to go down to the showroom, and Bonanza happened to be on. Uh And there was a dog in the episode, and I got really, really sad because I knew that, you know, it was like in the 60s, the dog was not alive anymore. Yes. (laughs) My girlfriend (laughs) walks into the room and says, what's wrong? You know, why are you so sad? And I said, well, because that dog's not alive. Like, I can, I can give a shit that Lauren Green was dead or anybody else in the episode. But, so that's how in deep I am when it comes to dogs. Yeah, no, I think you, you have the same sickness that many of us have. We all do that. You see a dog, even from like a movie from the 80s. I think I was watching Down and Out in Beverly Hills, which has that amazing border collie, Mike the dog. And I was like, oh, that dog's dead. You know, and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, and you just can't. And anytime like there, you have a show like that's, uh, so it's sort of a thriller. And then like the first scene, they introduce a dog. You're like, Oh, come on. Now they always do it. They always do it. It is so wrong. It's like, it's the thing to do to say, Oh, we're doing something serious. And it is so mean. Yeah. And it was like, and, and, and also you just know the dog is going to be in peril, you know, across whatever the 10 or 11 episodes, like, why are you doing this? To me? And if you're going to kill the dog, kill him in episode one. Cause I can't take that. Yeah. I, uh, I went to see John wick, the original John wick. Yeah. And uh, I've got a baby beagle dog uh, named Sophie. And of course, the very first episode or very first moments of John Wick, 
um, his dog gets kidnapped and killed. And I just walked out of the theater. I'm like, I can't even do like John Wick 2. I'm fine. John Wick 3. I love a good action movie, but I walked out of John Wick 1. I can't look at a show if I know that the dog goes in right off the bat. No, it's just like, I just don't know. I want to be in those meetings where they say, yeah, let's green light that. Um, I would tell, I will say though, if someone murdered my dog, I would go full John Wick as well. Uh, far less effectively, <laughs> I would probably get killed, you know, by, you know, 20 minutes into the film, uh, going on my, my, my revenge rampage, but I, I totally get it. So, so you have the cat series and this is something that I was thinking about while I was, I, I watched the first episode, the rap, the cat rapper. Cat rapper's delight. Oh yeah. man, that, that was great. Um, you know, when I, when I see someone with a dog, I never question that they have a dog, but when I see people that have a cat, I'll find myself saying sometimes, oh, they don't really seem like a cat person. Mm-hmm. Right. Why, why, why is that? You know, I, I think that's sort of what the show uh, tries to get at. You know, not, it's not, we're not on the nose about it. We're not pedantic about it, but we all know that like being a cat person is associated with being weird or eccentric most of the time. Um, and we've proven that's true. They're very deeply weird, disturbed people. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, but I, I think that, um, you know, if you look at, at these episodes and you have a cat rapper, you have a, essentially a cat circus, um, you have um, you know, someone that's doing a very unique uh, form of art based on cats and, and other episodes, you know, similar to that you see that um, what some people may call eccentricity um, might actually be just a matter of someone being special and unique. It's just, it's sort of the same thing, but flipping the stereotype to be something positive as opposed to being something negative. And, you know, and the cats are obviously less needy than dogs. And, and so perhaps it's a, it's on the Venn diagram. It's about being more creative. It's about being more unique and it's about being more, um, uh, less in need of that, um, of that, uh, bonds that you would have with a dog where the dog is constantly needing something of you, you know, and it's just sort of an agreement between a cat owner and their cat sort of like, all right, we're, we're buds. You go about your business. I'll go about, my business. <laughs> and, but you know, we know, we know that we have each other's backs if, uh, if it comes down to it. Yeah. I have a friend who's a cat owner and I always think, I don't, I'm not even sure your cat likes you. Yeah. Like, does your cat actually like you? Because you don't get from a cat what you get from a dog. Yeah, I think, again, I think it's more like a, it's like a detente. And it's sort of like, and the, I, some cats might just be like aliens that were, were left down here by like their mother species. And when <laughs> the mother species returns to uh, collect their brethren, they may annihilate humanity, but like the cats will like point out who the cool people are. It's like, they're good. They fed me <laughs> for the last 10 years. Don't kill them. Let me give them a quick goodbye, and then we can go back in the spaceship. Well, I find that the cats that I've that I've actually warmed up to are the cats that remind me of dogs. Mm-hmm. I had a friend that had a cat that fetched. Yeah, and I Is had you- a cat, and 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 her cat actually loved me. And whenever I would come over, most of the time when I'm around cats, I'm afraid to stare, like look them in the eye, because I'm afraid they're going to jump on me and, and scratch me. And right. I don't like them on my lap because of their nails. You know, their nails dig into you. Um, I'm, I'm out, you know, when it, when it comes to kitty litter and stuff like that, I just, I, I just, I can't, I can't even deal with that. But what I loved about the, the cat documentary is, um, the, the people really owned the weirdness about them mm-hmm. and their love for cats. Like this one woman, I think she was the acro cat who, um, 
she had that acrobatic thing yeah. and she had a, a frame quote on the wall. I'm only one bad relationship away from having 30 cats. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, I, when I was in law school, I was a single, single guy with three cats and I wasn't getting a lot of dates. Um, and I was like, and I, so at some point someone said, oh, reason a good looking dude from law school. What, What's the problem? Like you have three cats. Like, oh, yeah, that, that's probably it. That's probably something to do with it. I have a friend on on uh, who's, who's single who uses Tinder, and uh, he has a picture. Had a picture of him with his cat as his yeah. Tinder profile. I'm like, dude. You yeah. got no chance. You got yeah. no chance. You want to borrow my dog for a picture because the cat thing is not going to, it's, it's not the right thing. Not the right look. Yeah. And I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, um, a girlfriend of mine who, who's on one of those apps. And she was telling me how like the guys all do try and put a dog in the picture. Yes. It like it got, it's, it got, she said, got me at first, but it's essentially the same as the bathroom selfie. It's almost as bad because it's just, <laughs> it's just posing. It's, it's, they're, they're trying to convey to us that they're, you know, the type of guy that could have a dog and could love a dog. So we should love them, but it's just the front. They're borrowing dogs in half the time. Yes. So now you got this new docuseries called UFO, which I'm excited. I, there, you couldn't find a more topical subject right now than, than UFOs, the government's re- releasing files and all this. What's, what's the, what's the angle? What's the take? How are you approaching this? This is the one you're doing with Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams. Correct. And because it's with Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams, of course, I can tell you very little about it. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I will say the, the initial um, impetus for uh, creating this series was, you know, we're all fascinated. Everyone involved is fascinated by UFOs. Um, and when we took a survey of what was out there in terms of UFO TV shows, um, docs, films, you know, it, it all, it's not, I don't want to make a blanket statement, but the majority of it was sort of like alien autopsy or ancient aliens, which is entertaining, but not really credible. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to, and, and we were watching in the world around us how UFO journalism as it related to uh, UFOs was sliding from the National Enquirer to the New York Times and to the Washington Post. So we wanted to do the same thing in the doc space. We wanted to have a New York Times, Washington Post level doc series on UFOs and take it very, very seriously. Um, you know, it's something that, that is a theme of, of, the, uh, of the series is how you know, some very credible people have had UFO experiences from seeing them in the sky to literally claiming to have been abducted and they've been nothing but ridiculed. And it's time to start taking these people seriously. Uh, You know, there's uh, a very famous uh, reporter by the name of George Knapp, who's like the UFO reporter um, above all. He never signed up for that. He's a, you know, he's a Peabody award winning uh, a very accomplished journalist, and he just started to investigate UFOs and became uh, the, the person everyone looks to in terms of uh, UFO journalism. And, and he says it correctly. He says 95% of, of the UFO sightings, otherwise, uh, is this a G-rated show? Yeah, or, uh, no, 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 no. He said 95% of it is bullshit. Yeah. And he said, but 5% of it is really interesting, and we should be taking a closer look at it. And so that's really what this show is about. It's taking a look at that 5%. And, and some of it will reveal itself to be not credible. And some of it, 
scary, hmm. really scary. And then there's also how the government and how uh, industry uses our fascination with UFOs against us sometimes. And we use the analogy of a magician uh, in the series where a magician wants you to look at their right hand because they're doing something much more interesting with their left. Yes, yes. And, uh, and, and the government industry tends to do that when it comes to UFOs. And uh, I, I mean, the number of times I watched cuts of this series and got a chill down my spine or, or got really, really angry, I, I lost count. So do you actually believe in UFOs yourself? I do. I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't, I believe that they've been here. I mean, I don't know that there are aliens in those crafts. I don't know if... Uh, if they're um, just probes, I don't know if they're coming from another planet. I don't know if they're coming from another dimension, but I just think there's too much evidence to, um, to, uh, to, to reach a conclusion that they don't exist, you know, and then there's the argument, um, you know, that, well, everyone's got, there's, you know, 6 billion, uh, you know, uh, high resolution cameras in everyone's pocket. Now, why don't we have, um, better footage. Why is it always grainy or blurry? Aha, you bring that up. I mm-hmm. was driving to Palm Springs mm-hmm. um, and I saw something in the sky and I got out of my car um, on the side of the 10 and I took a video and it stayed there for 10 minutes and it was oblong and then it just took straight up into the sky. Mm-hmm. So I, I, from that moment, I believe in it. And I believe I should immediately pass that video off to you and to JJ Abrams. Well, <laughs> you have my email address, you know, but I, I think when people you know, make that argument, I think they're, they're, they're not accounting for the fact that if this race is, you know, advanced enough to come from, you know, billions of light years away to get here, it, they, they have intention, they have reasoning skills they probably make themselves scarce, you know, and they're probably just giving us just a taste because they, they know that if they show up and they, in their full glory and the ramp comes down and an alien with two heads walks out, maybe we can't take that. Yeah. They don't want us to see them if they're here. Right. Exactly. And, you know, maybe they want us to just get just enough so we could start the conversation, you know, so they could, get us ready and sort of you know, peel away layers of the onion until our, our civilization is advanced and we stop killing each other every single day. Maybe that's when they'll reveal themselves. Um, and, uh, and there's also, you know, in every, every iteration of, of, of um, fiction as it relates to UFOs, they're always evil. They're always here to kill us, um, which it just doesn't make sense. I think if you're a highly evolved species, m- murdering and annihilating other species is probably very low on your list. And if that's what their intention was, they're advanced enough that they would have already done it if they wanted to murder us. So if they're here, they're here to, for benevolent purposes or to just study us would be my opinion. Right. More of a nice ET kind of a thing. Let's hope so. <laughs> I always <laughs> think that if they're listening, they, I hope they heard that. I'm, I think you're, I'm on your side. Don't kill me. I, you know, I always think that if, let's say, aliens landed on the White House lawn, I think immediately because of the culture we live in and because of the polarization of our country, immediately it would become, I used to think it would, it would, uh, there would be world peace because we'd realize we weren't. I actually now think that half of the country would think we should work with the aliens and half of the country would want, wouldn't trust them and would want to fight the aliens. I actually think it would just continue the polarization in this country. What do you think? 
Yeah, it would land on the mm-hmm. White House lawn and half the country would be Antifa. It's Antifa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, the, you know, I don't know. I think it depends on what happens when they come down the ramp. They come down the ramp and they cure cancer, right? Yeah. Then I think that maybe that is the beginning, a dawn of a new age of peace. If they just come down to shake our hands, then you're probably right. Right. You got to give us a little more than that. (laughs) (laughs) They come to How to Serve Man. They leave the cookbook behind. How to Serve Man, the coolest (laughs) episode of The Twilight Zone, for sure. How to Serve Man. Uh, Well, listen, three new docuseries right now, Dogs on Netflix, Cat People on Netflix, and then UFO premiering on Showtime on August the 8th. Hey, Glenn, thanks a lot for doing this. Really fun, man. My pleasure. I I enjoyed it. Uh, That's really cool. Really cool. Um, The UFO thing is fascinating to me because it's such a topic in the news right now. And I, like I say, I saw this thing just a couple of weeks ago and I do have video of it. And to me, it's very convincing. Somebody else, I put it out on social media. They say, oh, it's grainy. Why is it always grainy? It's because it's far away. Right. It's, It's way up in the sky. So, of course, it's grainy. Like, I know they, they came up with this Webb Space Telescope, which mm. apparently has like 100 times strength of the Hubble telescope. Oh, really? I didn't even know about this. Yeah. So they were saying that there's a chance that we will be able to see things that we've never seen before. And, you know, they, you know, they go into this whole exoplanets, the planets around suns that aren't ours. And, and then, like, you lose me. I have to, I have to take a, I have to take a <laughs> the, class. The in order multiverse. To have a they start going into the multiverse and all this right. stuff. And I'm, I, I get lost, too. I, they asked me to fill in. Do you remember Art Bell? Sure. Okay. So he was the late night guy on from coast to, I think it was called Coast to Coast. And he would take calls about, you know, people with, weird experiences and aliens and all that stuff. I filled in for a week for Art Bell, which was fascinating. The rule is you have to buy every premise. I think George Norrie is doing this show now. You have to buy. So if somebody calls and says, this happened, you have to say, oh, really? Tell me about it. Well, even if it sounds like the kookiest thing in the world, Mm -hmm. because otherwise you screw up the, the idea of the show. And it's amazing how emotionally invested people get into these stories where they really, they, they absolutely believe. And it's not just, by the way, it's not just aliens. I did one where the idea was there were lizard people living in the middle of the earth and uh, they would come out and disguise themselves as people. So I did two hours with this guy who believes this, an interview and I'm like, this is the most absurd thing I've ever heard, but you have to accept the premise. Sure. So, so, yeah, tell me about the lizard people. When did you last see a lizard person? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I've got tape of this. It's like the craziest show I ever did. Oh, my God. I want to make boots out of this person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I wanted to hit you with one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a company called Buffer, and they make social media management tools. It doesn't even matter. And they've done something radical. They've gone to a four-day work week. And what they find is surprising. The output of work, the productivity is the same as a five-day work week. So they're not the only company that's doing this. People uh, are working four days in, in for, for like Unilever and in Japan, they're experimenting with it as a country and New Zealand is experimenting with it. Uh, and they like this idea of a shorter work week because 
people are happier, people are more healthy, if they have a three-day weekend instead of a four-day, instead of a two-day weekend. What do you think? I think it's a great idea, and it's something that um, I have thought about for a really, really long time. You know, there are some companies that I had worked for um, where you would have like a half a day on Friday. Yeah. Um, or they would do these incentive things where it was massage Friday and they would hire masseuses to come in oh, wow. and give the staff massages. Um, you know, during the pandemic. Legit, massa- a legit le- massage. Legit, right? no, no happy endings. Okay. So um, when the pandemic hit and I was working remotely, um, I was working harder than I did when I was in the office. And I mm. wasn't necessarily you know, I, w- I guess I was working every day because I had to because of the, my position on the show. But I probably was putting in, um, I was putting in less hours, but I was more productive. I think just because there was there was no disturbances, there wasn't anybody coming into my office, and I shared an office with two other people, and I would say probably two hours every day, we would just laugh and tell stories and, or like an editor would walk in and like, yeah. you know, he, he would, he, before he would get to what he wanted to tell us, he would tell us something about what he watched last night, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I totally believe it. I, I think that the two day weekend to me is, is such a tease. And I don't <laughs> think you get recharged enough to go back to work. I agree. I agree. Uh, and let's face it, what's the worst day? For me, the worst day of the week is Wednesday because you're right. like, oh, shit, I'm like right in the middle of this thing and I still have two more days. Uh, Wednesdays would basically go away. You go right. Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday becomes a good day because it's Thursday and then Friday, uh, Thursday becomes Friday. Uh, everybody can do this math by themselves <laughs> on, their, on their own. <laughs> but to, to shorten the week yeah. uh, makes Wednesday livable. Yes. And then it's, thank God it's Thursday. Thank God it's Thursday. Exactly. So we've got to find a way. And I know this show is, is heard coast to coast, mm-hmm. just like Art Bell. So maybe we can start the movement to push for a four-day work week. Because I'll be honest, Americans work too much. We Absolutely. work too much. And like you look at other countries, you know, the siesta. Yeah, I, mean, I know beautiful. that they go back to work after, but they have this beautiful break during the day. They can snoozle doozle. They snoozle doozle. <laughs> it's the greatest. Yeah. By the way, something I never thought I would mention on the show, the world famous Mason and Juan snoozle doozle on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings. It's just another thing to know about you, Steve. Yes, it is. <laughs> another thing. So uh, here's a thing you need to know. My friend Jacob Bumrani is the sponsor, is a sponsor of the world champion Lakers. You know that, Sue. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he is a brand new sponsor for the LAFC. Have you ever been to an LAFC game? I have not. At Bank of California Stadium, so much fun, such a beautiful stadium, such a great place. And now Jacob is a sponsor. All right. I'm just waiting for the day you start taking me to shit. Is that <laughs> ever going to happen? Well, you live in Long Beach. So? That's far away. I'll travel to go to a sporting event. Okay. All right. You're in. You're okay. in. We'll go to an LAFC game. Great. You, me, Juan, and Tom. Uh, so Jacob is this kind of guy, right? He's just a regular guy, regular sports fan. But he's not just a regular guy. He is that guy that if you're involved in an accident or injury, he will get you out of that bind and make sure you get 
the maximum compensation that you deserve. So if you are injured in any kind of accident, you want to call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 844-24-JACOB. All right, so I want to tell you, I listened to the last time we did this, and it was completely off. (laughs) No shit, Sherlock. It sounded like we were on to me, but we were not synced up. So let's try to do this. Let's just do it at tempo. Ready? Yep. Accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call Call Jacob. Jacob. I thought that was better. No. It was was better, but the motion, like the metronome thing. (laughs) The metronome hand thing. We we didn't we didn't grab it on the last one. <laughs> okay, all right. I don't know. Well, I think we need to take, uh, rehe- We need to rehearse. Thank you to uh, Jacob and Ronnie. Thank you to Glenn Zipper. Uh, mm. Strongly recommend uh, Dogs on Netflix. Excited for UFO on Showtime. Him and uh, Bad Robot and J.J. Abrams. Really exciting stuff. If you are listening right now on iTunes, it's actually not iTunes, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, click on the subscribe button and uh, please rate us and leave a nice review. If you have nothing good to say, don't say it. That's what I say. If you have nothing, so leave us a nice review. That's a good rule to live by. (laughs) Good rule to live by. Hey, Sue, fun today. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Steve. And thanks everybody for listening to the Culture Pop Podcast. Podcast.